Hey, serial killer robots. You're listening to That Slayer Show. I'm Madeline Kane. And I'm Kata Schroeder. This is season two, episode 11, Ted. Through the theme of normalcy. Mm, mm, mm-hmm. Ooh, first, we have some new reviews. I will read one of them out. <laughs> Amazing. Thanks to everyone who sent in a review. All right. Thank you to the reviewer, Simone Wheel Rocks, who says, love the themes. Everything I want in a podcast. Short, funny, insightful, turning a show I like into a show I can't stop thinking about. The hosts have a great vibe and keep it light, but the podcast is smart in all caps. Amazing. Thank you, Simone Wheel Rocks. At this point, you as listeners probably know what's normal in the pod, but we'll recap anyway. We're going to start out with a harried one-minute recap of the episode. We will go over the theme, which this week is normalcy. And then we'll talk about what we liked and what we disliked. And then this week at the end, we will give advice to some character. Okay, Madeline, are you ready for this one-minute recap? Oh, I'm ready. Three, two, one. Recap. Willow, Buffy, and Xander are walking home, and then they walk in, and and Buffy's mom, Joyce, is, like, making out with this dude named Ted. And uh, they have been dating, and they were going to tell Buffy, and Buffy, like, really hates him, but everyone else loves him. He's really good at cooking, knows a lot about computers, everyone is loving him. Then they go play mini-golf together. And Ted, like, threatens Buffy when the family isn't around. He's making weird comments about her grades and being really controlling. Um, Buffy tries to tell her mom and her friends and everyone's like, Psh, no big deal. Like, stop complaining. <laughs> right. And then Buffy goes to his work and find out he's going to like marry Joyce. And then she like confronts them about this. And ah. and then Ted like goes up to Buffy's room and like fucking hits her and is like getting mad. And he's like, I'm you know, if you t- if I, I like know that you're you're like crazy. And if you tell anyone that I hit you, then I'm going to like tell everyone that you're crazy. Right. And then she kills him and the police start investigating her. And there's this whole investigation. And and then it turns out that like Ted comes back and he's actually a robot and he's been drugging food that he's been giving to everyone and has like murdered ex-wives in his closet. Yeah. So Ted you really committed to that quote in the middle of the recap. <laughs> Wait, which one? I don't remember. <laughs> the one about it. he'll tell everyone that she's crazy. Yeah, I really wanted to make sure that that like manipulation was clear. You know, that was like blackmail. It was really key to the plot. I think we should let that recap stand. I think what we should think? too. Okay, so I think a key little thing to add in would be that Ted was like drugging everyone Mm. through the food with a component of ecstasy. Right, which Willow was the one to figure out after Ted, who we thought died, um, Buffy's friends were convinced that he must have been evil. So they were trying to find something against him to help acquit Buffy from the charges of murder that were potentially being brought against her. And so that's how they figured out through Willow's like science expertise, just like very advanced for her level to like (laughs) figure out the ingredients in this cookie. Um, Anyway, that was how through the cookies was how Ted was manipulating everyone into liking him. Right, and lulling them into a sense of complacency, like Joyce isn't listening to Buffy at all, even Mm -hmm. when Buffy says she's being threatened. Mm -hmm. And Buffy is noticeably not eating the stuff that Ted's making, so she's not getting the same, um, she's not being manipulated in the same way that other people are. 
Right. And although this was a big point of why everything went down the way it did, I thought it was a little underplayed that (laughs) they were like, oh, there's this drug in the cookie. And they mentioned it once. And then they were never like, and remember, this is why Joyce was ostensibly being a terrible mother when really she was just drugged. Yeah. So do you want to just dive into this theme? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, quick note. Normalcy. There are three nouns to the word, like there are three noun versions of normal. There's normality, normalcy, and normalness, although normalness is not very common. So I just like, I had to look this up because I was like, what's the difference between normalcy and normality? But they're, they're the same. So one of the places where I saw normalcy was in the fact that Ted's apparent normalcy sort of led to Buffy blaming herself a little bit more after he died. Even though she wasn't drugged by the food, when she looked back at the fact that everyone had perceived him as so normal, I thought sort of made her distrust her own senses and like her own perceptions and the fact that he had literally threatened her and hit her. And I just think that maybe the fact that he had seemed so normal made her think, oh, I must be crazy or a monster yeah i agree there was like this it's like how abusive behavior can be normalized it's because it like makes the victim question their own sanity their own sense of right and wrong and like their own actions instead of putting the onus on the abuser and like that's what we saw being played out and when you have your friends who really like the guy like people who are our abusers are often really likable all of Buffy's close, the people in our life who are close to her, people she trusts and loves, really like this person. And like, if all of these people whom she trusts feel this way, then it of course like makes her question her own judgment. And it is really, it's hard to watch her feel so much guilt about her ostensibly murdering this man. <laughs> right. <laughs> Was it a little over the top? Maybe. But the fact is he did hit her and her initial reaction, which was, I mean, yeah, I don't I don't blame her even if he had been a person for initiate like for going and fighting back. I know. And she never she didn't hit him first. And he fucking punched her in the face. That that was like a punch. (laughs) Yeah. You know. I mean, does she have an added responsibility because she has this extra power, though? I mean, it's hard to escape the reality that I suppose so. There's this conversation after the everyone thinks Buffy's murdered this human. (laughs) And it's between um, Xander and Cordelia and Willow and Giles. They're all in the library. And um, it's a discussion on Buffy's right to kill people. And Cordelia says, I don't get it. Buffy's the slayer. Shouldn't she have? And then Xander's like, what, a license to kill? And then Cordelia says, well, not for fun, but she's like this Superman. Shouldn't there be a different rules for her? And then Willow says, sure, in a fascist society. (laughs) And it's like, that's like a good point. (laughs) Right. Like there's something good about the fact that they want to hold her to account for Uh what she does. I just like hate Ted so fucking much that all I felt was joy when she beat him up, you know? Right. And even if she was glad for the chance to beat him up, it was also in self-defense. She was scared and he was freaking her out. Yeah. And she, yeah, like that's fucking scary. Right. And I just think her fear of Ted's presence 
becoming something that's normal in her life, becoming mm. normalized when her mom hears that Ted is thinking about proposing. She's like, I don't know, Buffy, what do you think? And Buffy's response is, I want to kill myself. And I don't think she was even exaggerating. Like mm. that's really, he, she's been threatened by this man already. That must be a really terrifying normal normality to consider. Right. And her friends are so immediately and her mom is like immediately acting like it's normal, like they're eating dinner together as if that's a ritual a family does. And this guy is brand new and they're like having dinner at the table, the table set. It's like this formal thing that's supposed to it's like everyone's acting like it's normal. And Buffy's the only one who sees that it's not. Gosh, it reminds me, someone told me recently that when something is traumatic, it, one of the th ingredients that makes something traumatic is when there's some sense that makes you question your own emotions or like question, or is there something that like makes you feel like you are alone in the sense that like not everyone experienced what you experienced. So for example, like if there's if there's a natural disaster and like everyone is um, affected by it, it's less likely to cause PTSD because you are experiencing something in a collective way. But in this scenario, Buffy is the only one experiencing it and having to like question herself. And I think it's just like the contrast between what's normal to everyone else and what's normal to her is so stark in this episode. And um, that's really hard. Yeah. Ugh. It was a bit of a harrowing episode for me, I have to say. Yeah. Where else did you notice the theme of normalcy or non-normalcy? Or I was struck by when Buffy is taken to the police station and questioned about Ted's death She's interacting with a, a detective, it seems like, and he is asking her all these really pointed questions. And I think it's worth noting, you know, all these other people in Buffy's life were under the influence of these cookies that made them less likely to believe her and more likely to side with Ted. But this guy wasn't like this is just this was like his normal behavior. He didn't he wasn't under the influence of anything. And he was asking her questions like you know, he hit you first. Like, are you sure? I don't see a bruise, you know? And she was like, I don't bruise easily. And, you know, and then he's like, so you've never gotten in a fight with Ted before. Like he was asking all of, he was clearly like not believing her, looking at her as very suspicious. That clearly is just super normal in the justice system to like not believe women. And that, you know, this is from the 19, like there, this is from, like 1999 or something I think we're in now for season two I'm not sure exactly 1998-1999 anyway it, it struck me how little the system has changed and how that's still the norm right like I watched that and I was angry but in a really normal way for watching inv police investigation scenes Ugh! well just the the presence of the police in this episode and Buffy's you know, being considered guilty for something has made it so unnormal in a way. Like her whole life is being upended in a different way from when, like, she even has to go to the master, right? This felt like a really different kind of problem. Yeah. And what I'm noticing now, too, is just the complete 
the total ineffectiveness of the legal system in Sunnydale, you know, they never help. They're never effective at like fighting the evil that Buffy's having to face all the time. And then in addition, when there's this ostensibly human legal problem, they're still like totally ineffective at handling it. They're like not helpful. They are are harmful. (laughs) They're treating Buffy like a murderer as opposed to a 16 year old who has been threatened by her mother's boyfriend like this is like this is domestic violence that she's possibly being exposed to and they don't care Mm -hmm. which is just unfortunately really common Mm -hmm. Keita did you see normalcy anywhere else so I want to walk a thin line of talking about a moment in the episode without completely blowing my dislike so got it yeah so jenny and giles have this interaction we see miss calendar again for the first time and it's clear that jenny is not back to normal yet jenny is not feeling okay yet she's still having trouble sleeping and it's clear that you need to leave okay listeners so we're in Kate's apartment and she has a cat who's like very engaged (laughs) a very like inquisitive active kitty and so if you hear some extra rustling in the background it is simply Athena uh, playing with a pen (laughs) um yes but it Giles just seems to want Miss Calendar to be normal again and he's not really doing a very good job of giving her the space to process her trauma yeah this um you have like set me up well for a like there were things about this interaction that i first liked then disliked but i i will transition this section into the likes now to help bolster what you just said on on this interaction between miss calendar and giles so miss calendar i saw her asserting her needs like Giles comes in you know Giles says oh yes of course you need time and she's like and and also space and she says you make me feel bad that I don't feel better I don't want that responsibility she says it very calm very straightforward she's asserting what she needs to heal from a really traumatic event she's clearly traumatized and I really liked to see her voicing what she needs i this also later you know what let's just do it in one fell swoop a first for the podcast these are inextricable it truly because then giles gets all sad and like he's like of course and like leaves he's really just continuing to make her feel bad instead of being like understanding and supportive of what she needs he like pouts away and then she feels the need to come back and apologize for being too harsh when she wasn't being too harsh it was my biggest dislike she comes back later and he just literally made her do the thing she asked him to not do which is take care of him when she's the one being traumatized it was very frustrating i was so happy to do see her do just what you said and i was like is she gonna? No, he left the room and I was celebrating. I was like, great. She didn't even apologize. Alas. And Giles just, he just puts her in the position of 
feeling like it's on her to make sure that he feels okay. Yeah. And then they are making out at the end of the episode, which gives the sense success for Giles or something. Right. Like now she's all fine. I didn't really like either the way that it was sort of just smoothed over and Mm -hmm. I didn't like seeing her processing be turned into the vehicle for their reunion. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. On the side of the, the writers, I would have liked to see her. I would like would have liked to see that be followed through for her. I would have liked to see her be able to do that. Keita, anything else you liked in the episode? Oh, I liked seeing, I think it was one of Cordelia's first really material contributions to the group's work, (laughs) for lack of a better word. They're in this uh, place where Ted apparently lives and Cordy goes, this rug doesn't go with, what does she say? This rug doesn't go with the rest of the decor at all. And that is how they stop and think to look under the rug and they find the trap door. I thought that was neat. Cordelia's finally getting to put her salt in the soup. She's still being herself, but it's helpful. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) A moment that I really enjoyed was also a Cordelia moment that I referenced earlier in this episode when she's talking about Buffy being like Superman saying that shouldn't she have a license to kill like Xander's put his words in there but then Willow's like yeah in a fascist society so what what I liked about this episode was like they kind of are describing like qualified immunity um in police officers (laughs) yeah where they have special legal protection from the supreme court and are able to use excessive force and abuse their power Right, without any consequences. Without any consequences. And, like, obviously we know that Buffy was fighting in self-defense. There's, like, other factors at play. But I did think it was, like, an interesting comment that Willow made when Cordelia is kind of exploring this idea, like, should there be exceptions for Buffy? Because she is this special person. And Willow was like, yeah, in a fascist society. And I thought that was just interesting because, like, well, that's actually what is happening here now with police officers. Right is interesting though because of course the distinction is that like that only qualified immunity only would apply to police officers when they're like on duty and like in uniform and Buffy like it's so different for Buffy because she's doesn't she's never like on or off duty she's always the slayer Mm -hmm. and she doesn't have a uniform that she dons that like puts her in this role she's constantly in this role so here when she's like a daughter she's her mom's boyfriend is hurting her where is the line like right how can she react in such a way that isn't using her slayer powers that's like who she is anyway it's just like a distinction of course between like police officers and Buffy but anyway yeah in a way she's the most off duty she's ever been yeah in this episode which in a way also makes sense I mean if she's never really off duty from slaying and these job this job that has been pushed on her and which she's only equipped with one thing to be able to do. Fight hard. Right. Like her reaction makes sense to me now a little more also. It's like she's always the slayer. And so she doesn't have a lot of other resources to grab when she's in the situation. Right. When someone throws a punch, what else has she been trained to do her whole, like for the past sev- like few couple years? Right. 
And I want to make clear real quick that I this part I feel is very disconnected from the police officer comparison because I don't want to let them off the hook because that's the only thing they've been trained to do because the key difference is them choosing their job and Buffy being a child. <laughs> Buffy being a literal child. Yeah. And like violence isn't the only thing police officers are trained to do. Like they are technically trained to do other things like de-escalation. Supposedly. supposedly. Like that should saying. be. That's what they say. So it's like, okay, here's what, here's where, where I'm struggling is because like really the message that I'm getting is like there needs to be more training for police officers. But like, that's not what I want to land on. I don't, I don't sure we have to land yeah, there. Cause yeah. well, no, because I think, Another place we can land is, is the Slayer the best way to be dealing with vampires anymore? I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe the best way to deal with them is have a single girl in the (laughs) entire world be tasked with killing these things at the exclusion of anything else. There is no other plan. There is no backup. There is no 10-year guide for how they're going to make vampire-human relations better. Nope. (laughs) They got one girl and some poor sap who's got to train her through it all and then watch (laughs) her die. And also they're not going to pay her for it. It's ridiculous. Anyway, anything else you dislike? Ooh, ooh, ooh. Hit me with it. Okay, just, I'm just like, help walk me. Like, how did you see this scene? So like when Buffy is caretaking Angel, she's wrapping his hand and she's venting about Ted to Angel and he's not like really giving her a lot of space to just talk shit about Ted. He's kind of like, "Ugh, Claire, are you going to be done talking about him?" And then, and then he was like, "Would any man satisfy you?" And like the way he asked it felt just a smidge sexual. And then she was like, "My father." Did you notice this? Am I, I don't crazy? Know if it was. I guess when you say, "Would any man satisfy you?" It well, sounds- that's what he said. Oh shit! I'm only quoting. Like, <laughs> he's like, "Is there any man who would satisfy you?" Oh. And he, it's coming out of Angel's mouth as he's like laying on this couch, and it's like very intimate. And then she was like, "My father," and then they start making out. Now I think <laughs> it's weird. Thanks. I. <laughs> I don't know. I was like, wait, what? I was just like, wait, I'm sorry. What happened? You're right. Bad verb choice on the one. I did think we sort of got the sense of she had been going on about Ted for maybe like 10 minutes already. So I know, but I think she's not able to talk about it with her friends. Everyone's defending Ted. Angel hasn't had his cookies. (laughs) I'm just saying like, I just want someone to be like, yeah, fuck Ted. I want someone to hear what Buffy's saying and be like, yeah, Ted sounds like the worst. And no one's doing that. And yeah. I want that for her. Sure. Anyway, what did you, did you dislike? <laughs> Anything else you disliked? Yeah, I guess I didn't love the scene where Buffy is just playing with her food, where she's just beating up this vampire because oh. she's mad. And Giles like, Buffy, I think it's a, a I, th- I think it's staking time. And I thought it was interesting because it's like, oh, there is... You know, in a way, they do sort of have this idea. It's like, oh, you only fight the vampire long enough to sort of get them a little stunned so that you can stake them. And this time, Buffy was just using him as a punching bag. And I was like, come on, Buffy. That's Mm. a creature, too. Well, right. It's like, how do they view vampires? Like, are vampires 
people or are they not (laughs) right and it was the thing we keep coming back to which is like do they deserve your respect do they deserve your respect and are 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 they people um because they were like a human life when it was like buffy's killed so many things Mm -hmm. but it was the it's a human life part that counts so i thought i just brought it really into relief again it's like Mm. oh we don't think that these things are human but we also think that they deserve some sort of dignified death Mm. or at least not a incredibly painful one it was hard to say it is interesting right like it's like oh they're these terrible things that have no souls and they're evil and it's okay to kill them but at the same time giles is saying like but don't hurt him too much before you stake him it's like kind of conflicting messages like do we are we compassionate toward vampires or not yeah so this time we're gonna just bestow some characters with a little advice madeline any anything in the front of your mind my advice is for giles i don't want to see him again using like pouting as a way to divert the conversation back to him as the victim my advice to him is just to accept other people's needs and like not feel like your needs to be comforted are more important than other people's needs to process their trauma. Amazing. What about you? I've actually prepared in my mind, not written out, a little example apology Giles oh. could use. Yes, these compliment each other so well. I know. I Yeah, exactly. So not an, an apology not meant to make Miss Calendar felt the need to apologize again and an apology to be used in the moment before he leaves the computer lab so he doesn't have to come into her life again unwanted. And here's what I think he should say something similar to. I'm sorry, I didn't realize that I was making this more difficult for you. Thank you for telling me the feedback. Please take your time. I will give you more space. And if you wish to see me in the future you know where to find me how, how did that what that do you was think? beautiful that is all he needed to do right it would have let miss calendar know <sighs> that he truly you know he should have known but he truly didn't realize that he was making her life harder he feels bad about it but he's not going to make her make him not feel bad about it and Mm. he's letting her know that her taking space isn't going to make him not want to see her again Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. absolutely agree and now he just has to do the thing that apparently is really hard for men which is just be patient Mm -hmm. and like Mm -hmm. i hope he hears our advice i I hope hope he he does too heeds it Thank you for listening to this week's episode of That Slayer Show. If you enjoyed what you heard, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And go ahead and share this episode or our podcasts with people. Or animals. But not weird robots. You can follow us on Instagram at That Slayer Show, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. And if you'd like to leave a comment, a question, a review, wait, not a review, a comment, a question, maybe a concern, go ahead and email us, thatslayershow at gmail.com. Thank you to Holly Colvin for the cover art. 
And this podcast was inspired by Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Thanks for listening. Hear you next week. Bye. Bye.